0: Thanks for that, Chris, and for the team as they've led us through our time together this morning. If you'd like to please turn in your Bibles with me to the New Testament and to Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning. Continue in this new preaching series in Philippians uh, entitled Discovering Joy. And we're reading this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through to 18. And Paul has these words to say to us, inspired through the Holy Spirit of God. He writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but instead thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of God. And now Holy Spirit I uh, ask that you might just take the words of my mouth you might uh, you might lift up Christ in the preaching of this your word today. May we come together to know the joy that comes from not only knowing Christ but being his and living for him so that we might all bring glory to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, there's a very plain and straightforward principle that uh, I think we need to get our heads around this morning from this particular passage, and it's this. In the establishing and the furthering of God's, of God's kingdom, God will often use circumstances and situations. He will choose to use circumstances and situations that we might ordinarily see as negative and he'll use them to bring about positive outcomes. This morning in our passage... We're going to note that there are two uh, distinct negative, uh, ser- two distinct, distinctly negative things that we read that result in three very positive outcomes. The first negative we find in Paul's imprisonment, the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, begins this section by saying, "I want you to know, brothers, that." what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Of course, what Paul's referring to there is his imprisonment. We see that in verse uh, 4, and we see it it in verse 12, and we see it also in verse 13. Oh, sorry, verse 13 and verse uh, 18, I should say. 17, I'll get it right in a minute, won't I? And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment... Paul is speaking of his imprisonment there in verse 14. He speaks about it in verse 13, where he says that, you know, it has become known through the whole imperial garden to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In verse 17, it speaks about the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So if we haven't already picked it up, Paul is in prison. He is in prison. And to get a better understanding of uh, of how Paul came to be in this situation, we need to go back to the latter chapters of Acts. And particularly in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, we read that Paul had planned to go back to Jerusalem, most likely to give a report about how his ministry endeavours have gone, particularly throughout the regions of Greece and uh, Asia Minor. And after this, after, having, after returning to Jerusalem, Paul's plan was then to go on to Rome to proclaim the gospel in Rome and then hopefully on even further to Spain. Now on his journey to Jerusalem, Paul is uh, uh, told by a prophet that imprisonment wa- awaited him there. We see that in Acts 21, verses 10 through to 14. If you just turn with me just quickly, uh, back a few pages in your, uh, in your Bibles... You'll, uh, you'll be able to follow me along with this. In Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through to 14, we read this. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands, that is Paul's feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, "Let the will of the Lord be done." Paul was willing to go back to Jerusalem, knowing full well what awaited him there was imprisonment. And sure enough, about a week after arriving back in Jerusalem, we discover that Paul is accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple, and resulting and the resulting riot basically meant that Paul was arrested. And after numerous appearances before governors, before councils, Paul finally asks that his case be heard before Caesar. And so he is sent to Rome. And Acts 28 tells us that upon his arrival in Rome, Paul is confined under house arrest, where he is chained 24 hours to a Roman guard. And this would go on for a period of around two years. We read that in Acts 28, verses 16 and 30. Now, the things that happened to Paul were vastly different to the things that Paul had planned for himself. He'd intended to go to Rome as a preacher, but instead he went there as a prisoner. Rather than being free to preach to the crowds, Paul was instead confined to a room or even perhaps a small house at his own personal cost and shackled by chains. What had happened to Paul was vastly different to the things he had planned for himself. Wow, isn't that the case for many of us? The plans that we often have for ourselves can turn out vastly different to, uh, to what we had in- originally intended. Paul is now faced with not the most pleasant of circumstances and certainly his situation was viewed by many as a terrible hardship and a real hindrance to Paul's attempts and his, uh, and, and his intentions of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that there were many among the believers, not only at Philippi, to whom Paul is writing this particular letter, and uh, he's, by the way, he's writing to assure them of his well-being. But also, I'm sure it would have been seen as a, as, as, as a hindrance by all of those Christians around the Roman Empire who had got word that Paul was indeed there in prison in Rome. They would have, I guess, seen this as a, as a tragedy. I mean, this is a, this is a terrible thing that, that, that has now happened to the Apostle Paul. And yet... The surprising thing we read here in this passage is that Paul writes and says that the things that happened to him have actually served to advance the gospel. He begins by saying to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers. There in verse 12, I want you to know. In other words, Paul is saying, I need you to get this, guys. I need you to hear this and hear this well. What has happened to me, the things that have happened to me have actually served to advance the gospel. That word advance in the original language is also actually used to describe an army of, of pioneer woodcutters. These, these, this would be a, a, a small band of people who would go before the regular army and they would go uh, before them and they would cut away through an otherwise impenetrable forest. Forests therefore making it possible for that army to have access to those regions that were previously impenetrable. Paul is saying here that what has happened to him has actually served to actually pave the way, to open up the way to a place that would have ordinarily been inaccessible to the gospel message. And in this passage, we discover two surprising ways that the gospel has indeed advanced. These are the two positives. And the first positive is this that we see in Paul's imprisonment that, that, that because of his imprisonment, what has happened is that some of the imperial guard have been converted, they have become followers of Jesus Christ. This access that Paul speaks of says that it's in fact the gospel is bearing fruit amongst Caesar's elite troops. These are what's called the Praetorian Guard. They were Caesar's personal bodyguard. These guys were hand-picked elite soldiers who had incredible access to Caesar himself and who very much had a, a, a fairly significant influence there not only in the palace but also across the empire. Paul says that because of his chains, because of his imprisonment, some of these men had indeed come to faith. In fact, at the end of this letter, Paul actually sends greetings to the saints in Philippi from the believers in Caesar's household. We see that in Philippians 4, verse 22. Those people even among the household, among the palace of Caesar themselves, had become to faith. And they send greetings to their brothers and sisters in the Lord back in Philippi at the end of this letter. How did these people come to hear of the gospel and come to faith? They heard it because of Paul's preaching and because of his chains, which, which testified to Paul's faith and confidence and commitment to Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Over, a two, over this two-year period, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's chained to this particular sol- these soldiers. The shift would last around uh, between six to eight hours, which would mean that over that period of, of a, a 24-hour period, Paul would have chained to him either three or four different imperial soldiers, and that would go on day after day after day for two years. Paul was chained to them, but they were also chained to him. They were a captive audience. Reminds me a bit of a uh, story of a friend of ours, uh, Eleanor, back in uh, Bible college. She uh, works with YWAM and uh, she was telling us of this particular uh, instance where she was in India. And uh, there um, amongst the, I'm not exactly sure what city they were in at that stage, but here they were amongst this, uh, all these people. And all of a sudden this incredible torrential downpour came and the only cover around was this kind of like this bridge. And so all these people huddled in underneath this bridge. To, uh, to, to, keep, uh, to take shelter from the rain. But, of course, underneath this bridge, there was this huge, big, deep puddle of water which no one wanted to step in. And so they're all kind of huddled under the bridge but also trying to avoid being pushed into uh, this great big puddle of water there as well. And as they stand there, Eleanor decides, what a great opportunity to preach the gospel. And so she just wades straight into the middle of this huge big puddle and starts preaching the gospel to all these people sheltering from the rain underneath this bridge. They were a captive audience. Now, I'm certain that Paul took every opportunity to tell these guards about Jesus. Perhaps they even inquired of paul well paul what are you in for you know the whole prison language what are you in for but not only that paul also received many regular visitors with whom he discussed matters of faith we see that in acts 20 verses uh, acts 28 verses 30 to 31 we're not going to turn there now but you can do that a bit later so as Paul there is under house arrest, not only is he able to preach to these, uh, to these soldiers, but they're there standing as, as Paul receives all these different people at different times of the day. They come in and Paul is talking to them about matters of faith, about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, about you know, what Jesus has done for them, about how they can live their lives for Christ. Paul is testifying all the time and these soldiers have no choice but to hear this. And through the hearing of the word of God proclaimed, they come to a saving faith in Jesus, impacting those even within the very palace of Caesar himself. That's the first positive. The second positive we discover in this passage is that Paul's chains also embolden the other, the other Christians. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers having become now confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are I'm much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, Paul tells his readers that his chains have also served as an inspiration to the other believers who are hearing what's going on with Paul and it, is, and not a, and it has given them courage, it has given them boldness themselves to, the, to go and share their faith. Paul's outspokenness, Whilst they're in chains, has had the effect of motivating these other Christians, motivating them to do the same, to live the same bold lives for Jesus Christ. In other words, his courage had actually rubbed off on them. I remember one of, uh, you know, when I first uh, became a follower of Jesus, I remember um, uh, not long uh, after that, probably about in the, in the first couple of years. Uh, being introduced to a man uh, by the name of Roy Conwell. He was a Baptist pastor. Some of you may uh, know Roy or have known of him. But uh, Roy actually uh, began his, uh, his work for Jesus Christ actually as a missionary in Sudan. And I remember sitting down with him one day and he was telling me the story of how, how Jesus had actually uh, really, um, Roy had been riding his push bike along the road at Deception Bay. You know that road in past the police station and the, and the cemetery there at Deception Bay? He'd been riding in along there and all of a sudden he just felt the Holy Spirit of God just really uh, start to convict him about his, uh, his faith in Jesus Christ. And he pulled off into the, uh, into the bush there and he kneeled down and he prayed and, and God laid on his heart there and then that, uh, that he wanted him to go to the Sudan. And uh, Roy, uh, in obedience to that, then uh, went to the Sudan as a pioneer missionary into that country, one of the very first Christian missionaries into that place. And uh, some of the stories he he told about uh, his, uh, 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 I guess, his adventures with Christ there in that country. But uh, he, um, you know, uh, built a uh, leprosy mission out of, you know, in the midst of the jungle there and that sort of thing. You know, just that, uh, just hearing his story really inspired me in my own faith and my own walk with the Lord. And that's true, isn't it? We've, I think many of us would, would be able to, uh, to point to, uh, to other believers whom uh, who have just inspired us in our faith and have really encouraged us and emboldened us in our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it uh, reminds me also of the effects of the, uh, the martyrdom of, of Jim Elliott and his co-workers there in South, South America, those guys um, who went to preach the gospel to the Alca Indians and were martyred there, uh, there in, that, in that place. But it's interesting, these guys were graduates of Wheaton College and after their death, large numbers of graduates year by year from Wheaton, from Wheaton College in America offered themselves for missionary service. They were emboldened and encouraged by and inspired by the witness of these people. Which goes, which reminds me as well of this. Is that you know what? You don't have to be anyone special to inspire another fellow believer in Christ to live boldly and courageously for him. There have been people in this church who have been inspired in many different ways by their faith in Christ and it's really challenged me and inspired me in that. And you might just be the person today that God wants to use in order to challenge and inspire others here, not only just in this congregation, but in your circles of influence you guys are going away on camp this week. You know, God's going to use you in that, con- in that context. If, you just put our, if we just humbly just put ourselves in God's hands and say, here I am, Lord, use me. And God can just use us in incredible ways to inspire and give courage and boldness to those around about us. Mark was talking this morning about a partnership for the gospel. You know, we're all called to it, folks. We're all called to that. And each and every one of us can have that ability and that capacity through Jesus Christ working in us and through us to be the ones who inspire and embolden each other in our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's imprisonment inspired those to preach the gospel then we come across another negative though that not only were there those who were inspired to preach the gospel who had become confident in the lord by paul's imprisonment notice that by the way too that they're not confident in paul their confidence doesn't come from paul but their confidence comes from the lord jesus who himself is working in and through the apostle paul our confidence must first and foremost always be in Christ and in no one else. These people, we read, it's, it goes on to say then in verse 15 that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former, though, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but instead thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's a bit hard to get our heads around this, but we're told that there were those who were inspired, in inverted commas, by Paul's circumstances to proclaim the gospel so that they actually might cause Paul even more suffering in his chains. You think, geez, that's harsh, isn't it? That's incredibly harsh. Now, some commentators actually identify these people as being false teachers. And that might, you know, that would be the easy thing to do here in this passage, to think that Paul is indeed, you know, thinking that these guys are false teachers. But it's interesting here in this passage that Paul doesn't actually condemn them for preaching a false gospel. Now, Paul is very clear to to very much condemn those who do preach a false gospel, by the way. You've only got to go back to Galatians chapter 1 and read about Paul's ideas of those who are proclaiming a gospel that is other than the gospel he proclaims in Jesus Christ. He says, if anyone preaches a gospel different to us, let them be accursed. But in fact, here, Paul actually rejoices that they are preaching a proper gospel. Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, or whether it be in rivalry, whether it be through envy, whatever, or whether it be in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, Paul says. So he is saying that these guys are in fact preaching a a very clear gospel message. So, what does he mean then? They're preaching out of envy and rivalry and self ambition. Well, it would appear that these people, inspired by Paul's imprisonment to preach this gospel, thought that they might indeed help sort of try and steal the limelight, perhaps, away from Paul for themselves. That now, with Paul out of the picture, they can rise to the surface, so to speak, and they can be held up and esteemed by those around about them as, pre- as preachers of the gospel message that they could get some notoriety for themselves because they were jealous of Paul and they resented his popularity. But they may have also been trying to discredit Paul by saying that his imprisonment was a sign of God's judgment upon him and that their ministry was superior. Now, that's, that is entirely conjecture. But when it speaks about, you know, these people sort of preaching out of envy, of rivalry, out of selfish ambition, and in order to afflict Paul, we've got to, you know, sort of ask ourselves, well, how would that be? And that's just perhaps one of the ways in which they were doing that. That they sought to hurt, they sought to hurt Paul and malign his ministry purely out of jealousy and spite. But Paul's response, and in this we see the third positive, he simply rejoices. Instead of thinking of himself and his own hardship, Paul instead delights in the knowledge that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and it is bearing bearing fruit. And yes, God uses people that we might ordinarily write off. God uses people that we might ordinarily write off. See, these people here... They are still Christians. Yes, Christians with impure motives, certainly, but still Christians proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And we need to be careful. We need to be very careful who we call good and who we call bad. Yes, we are to test everything according to Scripture. But let me just point us back to a passage in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, for a moment i just going to quickly turn back here to an incident with Jesus and his disciples when Jesus was conducting his public ministry. Now, this comes straight after the passage about the uh, disciples, about asking, you know, who is the greatest and that sort of thing. And then John, one of the disciples, says to Jesus, reading in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 38, John says to him, that is, to Jesus, "'Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, "'and we tried to stop him.' because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ." will by no means lose his reward. Here was an example where the uh, the disciples saw this other person who was carrying out ministry in Jesus name and they tell him to stop because he's not one of them. And Jesus says, "Let him be." Let him continue on in that ministry. And here's what we need to do. We, when it comes to, to, you know, when it comes to serving God, we need to be very, very careful to discern between those following. Are they following Jesus or are they following us? Do we discredit people because they are not following us, even though they may be following Jesus? We need to be very, very careful. We need to be very careful that we don't become arrogant enough to think that we alone have all the right answers. As one wise person once said, in the essentials, that is, those things which are fundamental to the gospel and to the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, that is, those things which don't pertain directly to salvation in Jesus Christ, In non essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity or grace or love. Paul wasn't ready to write off these people, even though I'm sure there would have been those who would have been. But instead, Paul is joyful. He rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed, and his joy is palpable. Nothing gave Paul more satisfaction and happiness than in seeing Christ lifted up in people's lives. And folks, today, that should be the delight of our hearts as well. That if there are those around about us who may not necessarily worship in perhaps in the way we do, who may not hold to specific uh, non-essential doctrines like we do, we mustn't just write them off. Particularly if they, you know, if they love Jesus and they're proclaiming, they're preaching the gospel that salvation is found in Jesus Christ, in him alone, we've got to be very, very careful. Otherwise we, and as we become in danger of becoming pharisaical. It's interesting here that, that it is, it's, a, it's a conscious choice of Paul that he makes in difficult circumstances here to be joyful, choosing to focus on that which is of infinite value and importance rather than on his own, circu- rather than his own circumstances. Paul says, in that I rejoice. You know, whether P- Christ is being proclaimed out of pretense or in truth, the fact he's proclaimed in that I rejoice and he goes on to say in the last bit of that verse, yes, and I will rejoice. It is a conscious decision. And that is the same for us in our own circumstances. It needs to be a conscious decision for us to be able to rejoice in whatever circumstances we face because we are given an opportunity to be able to be witnesses for Christ in the midst of that. So a couple of things for us as we close just to, uh, to take away from this passage today. Let me just point out a couple of things. Firstly, this that we as followers of Jesus need to be willing to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. Now, if we had a choice, I'm sure that the majority of us would rather avoid times of difficulty and hardship. I mean, suffering is something that we would rather not have to experience in our lives. Yet what appeared to be a disappointment in the eyes of many and a discouragement that is, Paul's imprisonment, was actually viewed by the Apostle Paul as a divine appointment. Paul saw God's hand in the midst of his suffering, and so he was willing to embrace that suffering because it gave him the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make Christ known a recent article on the Gospel Coalition website, Australian uh, pastor and author Stephen McAlpine writes this. It's a uh, challenge in one of his blogs. He says, Would you accept more hostility toward the gospel if it meant more openness to the gospel? He goes on to write, a friend in Scotland recently told me that the hostility his very secular country is exhibiting toward Christianity is being countered by a flood of genuine interest in the gospel. He says it's never been so hostile here, but it's also never been more open either. So which would you pick, he goes on to say? Less hostility and less openness? Or more hostility and more openness to the gospel? Of course, no hostility and total openness, well, that'd be fantastic. But you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. You don't find it anywhere in ministry, particularly if you're being faithful. So the question remains, are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to suffer in order to see more gospel opportunity? Jesus said to his followers in Luke 21, 12 to 13, but before all this, speaking about the time when um, he'll bring all things to a conclusion, but, but before all this, they, that is the governors and, and, and kings and that sort of thing, all of the, you know, the secular world, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors For my sake. In other words, Jesus is saying, You're going to have to endure hardship. You're going to have to endure persecution. You're going to have to endure opposition. You're going to have to endure suffering. But he goes on to say, This will be your opportunity to bear witness. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. See, for the Christian, the road to victory often passes through the valley of suffering. Or as the early church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Of course, it shouldn't surprise us because this was indeed the example the Lord Jesus set for us. He was the one who himself endured the cross with all of the scorn, with all of the shame, with all of the suffering, so that many would be saved. In fact, when uh, Jesus says to his disciples in his ministry, he said Jesus, he did, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew twenty twenty eight. This is the example that Jesus has set for us. And as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, those who are learning to be like Jesus, we follow in his footsteps. But we will only be prepared to endure suffering for the sake of gospel growth if we, like Paul, are willing to put our own interests aside and instead put Christ and his purposes first. Yes, Paul could have focused on his situation. He could have become downhearted and disillusioned by his imprisonment and by the opposition that he faced, even from supposed fellow believers. But instead, his priority was Christ and his gospel. And in this, God enabled his gospel to advance. And it's no different today. God wants to do the same In our world, he wants to do the same not only in our world, but he also wants to do the same in our lives. No matter our circumstances, as bad as they might seem, passages such as this remind us that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And in fact, it can be often it can often be that the most difficult and the most challenging of circumstances in our lives are those very things that God wants to use to open up new avenues for Christ and for his gospel to be proclaimed. And in that there is a joy to be found that is beyond anything that we can imagine. So, what are you willing to, to give? And, and, and endure for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to give and to endure for the sake of the gospel? Let me leave you with a quote from the newsletter this week. It says this, God never called those of us within the church to maintain an institution. He called us to complete a mission. And the question we need to go from this place ringing in our ears is this How can we use what we have, both good and bad? How can we use what we have to reach others with the gospel and the good news of Jesus? What can you use? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we see uh, an example of the fact that even in the most disheartening, discouraging, disillusioning of circumstances, here was the Apostle Paul there in prison. Lord, nothing, not even those circumstances, could could halt the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many things in our world today that we might see as being barriers, that we might see as being hindrances. Even in our own lives, we may believe that there are things which we would see as a barrier and a hindrance to Christ being lifted up and proclaimed. But yet we know that in all things, you are able to accomplish good and you are able to continue to see your kingdom built up and grown further and further. So, Lord, today, I guess our prayer as we leave here should be this. No matter what circumstances I may or we may encounter throughout this week, help us to be reminded of those words of Jesus that this will be our opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus and help us to be faithful witnesses in that. For your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.